Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Lee2B, the sassiest podcast for B2B, where we unravel the stories and insights of remarkable individuals shaping the business landscape. I'm Lee Moskowitz, your T-shaped growth marketer and host. My guest today is Tara Robertson, a leadership coach and champion of diversity, equity, and inclusion. She's on a mission to empower underrepresented leaders in the corporate world, helping them transform from underestimated to unapologetic success. As a consultant, she partners with corporate leaders to help drive systematic change. She's been at the forefront of change in open source technology and corporate spaces, including a remarkable stint leading diversity and inclusion at Mozilla. Tara's work has been included in Harvard Business Review, Forbes, CBC, and other media. Get ready for an insightful conversation about leadership, equality, and the transformative power of inclusion on this episode of Lee to Be. Hey, Tara. Hey, Lee. It's so good to see you. I have to say, you're my first guest who is also dyed hair. That's some hot pink you got rocking. Thank you. I love how your you're kind of looks like tie-dyed hair matches your tie-dyed shirt. Yeah, a lot of my outfits kind of just, I, I plan around my hair and colors and stuff. Although I am going to a gothic wedding this weekend, so... I can't hide my hair, but like I'm just gonna try to stick to the blacks. Are you changing your hair color for the wedding? Oh, definitely not. No, no. Mm-mm. I can't do Something that. Else? I'm gonna keep it rainbow. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. But yeah, so I love your tagline from underestimated and overworked to unapologetic and unstoppable. I like to dive right into things, but you have such a diverse range of experiences in leadership, coaching, DEI consulting, and technology communities. How did you first find your path into this unique intersection of fields? So before all that, I was an academic librarian for 12 years. Oh, I have questions about that, too. I can drive right okay. into it. But yeah, let's let's talk about librarians. So my mom is a librarian, a uh, lifelong what? librarian. What kind of library? So she is, she's worked in law firms, but she spent most of her career in, in college and in, in academia. So yeah, she's a she's a college librarian. And she has always instilled in me the the values of checking your sources, evaluating your sources, using data. So let's talk about librarians because one, they're more important than ever with all the banned books. But yeah, let's start with your, your career as a, a librarian. So I became a librarian because, not because I love books, I actually don't read that much, which disappoints some people. The public library is such an important institution. It's one of the only free places that anyone can go to access a huge range of information. So that's super important and super important in a democracy. So that's why I became a librarian. Although after I became a librarian, I didn't actually work in any public libraries. I worked in an art and design library. I worked at the National Library of New Zealand. And I ran an accessibility organization that served 20 colleges and universities. I had all of my experiences like weird technical stuff kind of in the background, but I don't know, when people think of libraries and they're like, oh, I love the smell of books. It's like, so much information's digital. Like, wake up. Well, well again, I come, I, my mom's a librarian, so I probably know a bit more. I'm guessing you did a lot of digitization and then kind of just sending stuff to people digitally. 
Is that is that kind of what you did? The accessibility organization, we digitized textbooks for students with print disabilities. So students mm-hmm. who had learning disabilities and couldn't use print textbooks or people who are blind or visually impaired or students who couldn't carry heavy textbooks, either through chronic pain or lots of different reasons. So we supported disability service kind of organizations on each campus. So students could get access to the textbooks that they needed for their learning. It's interesting, like some of the math and chemistry stuff is really complex. So it was a very specialized digitization operation. But what it meant is that blind students could do a master's and a PhD in math and physics which wasn't really possible before. So it's more about like what the access makes possible that I'm, I care about rather than like, Ooh, we have a really good script that like digitizes this thing. Like, okay, that's kind of cool. But blind people can become mathematics professors. Like, yes, that's important. There's lots of assistive technology that reads things out loud. I prefer to listen to audiobooks. Like, I was mm-hmm. listening to Amy Edmondson's new book about um, failure and the right kind of wrong. And it's hard for me to sit and read a print text or print, print book, but it's much easier for me to absorb the information, like, by listening. So, yeah. It just, as someone who's non-disabled, it gave me just a broader range of ways to access things and use technology. So I learned a lot from students with disabilities. Gives you things to, to think about. Like, I didn't even think about, yeah, there's obviously people who can't read it physically from blind, but I didn't even think about all the people who might not be able to physically carry textbooks or read it or, or do stuff like that. So... Yeah, accessibility does range pretty wide. I came into tech and I worked at Mozilla and the Mozilla mission is to keep the internet open and accessible for all. So it's not that different from what I was doing as a librarian. The work was really different because I found myself on a global people team um, running like a global diversity and inclusion strategy for a company that had 1200 staff in 16 countries like that was really different but the why of what why we were doing our work fairly similar so you mentioned mozilla which which you were at for uh, a few years and really led things there i'd love for you to talk about perhaps a a particular initiative there i've read a few trans related things about your work there is there anything memorable or just that you really are proud of from from your work there and I'm sure there's many things. It's funny. Um, I know that you do data stuff in marketing, and I also do data stuff in DEI. Like all tech companies, we were trying to increase the representation of women in technical roles, as well as the representation of black and brown staff. If you don't use the data to diagnose where the problem is, you're just kind of doing random things. So representation of, say, women in your organization is impacted because women are leaving faster than you're hiring them because the culture sucks or a certain leader is kind of sexist and has a shitty work environment. Like, you need to solve that. You got, you got a hole in your bucket. Um, so if you're like, oh, we're going to go to all these conferences and recruit, like, you can do that. But if you look at the data and see that you've got an attrition problem, you got to solve that. Or if you look at where women are in the organization or where people of color are and breaking down people of color to be more specific um, by actual races so that you can see what's, what's actually going on and then what do we need to fix? Like what are the priorities so that you're approaching this work like with a strategy and approaching it like with kind of a business lens in mind instead of 
sort of just amateur random things. We're going to try things. And it's like, yeah, yeah but why? So <laughs> Can you tell me how of... you use data as a marketer? Because I'm curious about that. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, data is literally everything we do in marketing. So kind of like what you're saying, it's how, how do we measure what works? So when we are spending any type of dollar or budget in marketing, we're judged pretty pretty heavily, but more so than being judged is we want to know what works. So very basic example is, hey, we're doing LinkedIn ads, we're doing Google ads. Let's track the performance from those ads to not just the click level, not just the cost per click level, but then going even further into conversion rates, how many people are closing on there. So we can get a super granular as, as being like, hey, this website page has a bounce rate, meaning how long people leave and, and stay on the page before going to another one. Uh, it's crazy, like let's not point there. Or it could be like, hey, this keyword that we're bidding on is is super costly. It does have a good click-through rate, but we're not getting any conversions. So we 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 data everything here like we we like to say if we can't measure it it doesn't exist which which i think is a a big i don't want well, kind of a differentiator because when it comes to DEI there is such an ethos and pathos behind it but you emphasize a very practical data science backed approach which really makes such a strong difference could you talk about that well, the examples I gave were around the diversity piece, like who's here and who's not here. You can also take a data-driven approach to inclusion. Like how do people feel? Um, when I look in it, I love employee engagement surveys. Um, really said no one ever except for me <laughs> and other <laughs> data-driven DEI folks. But I don't really care about the average score or the average engagement level. Like that's nice. But I want to know where there's gaps. Where are women having a radically different experience than non-binary folks? Or where are people in different countries having different experiences? Who's having a really great experience and who isn't? What's the difference between Black, Asian, Latine, and white staff's experience in an organization? Like, it's interesting. Sometimes I've looked at some of the data cuts and been like, huh. It's not what I thought it was going to be. Why? And even if there are gaps, it doesn't tell me why. So then it's going from that, at least kind of like the needle in the haystack thing. It's like, okay, we're in this part of the haystack. I know yes. that people are having a different experience. I need to go talk to people, either through focus groups or the leaders and be like, hey, I see this in your data. Help me understand what's going on here. And then we solve for that problem. It's common, it's commonly documented and commonly researched that um, black, indigenous, and people of color don't get great actionable feedback, especially from white managers. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, some fear in giving the critical feedback, which everyone needs to get better, to people who aren't like you. So if that yeah. is the main issue and that stalling people out, people of color out in their career progression, Doing general workshops on inclusion are not going to be as effective as doing targeted workshops with managers on how to give mm -hmm. feedback. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense because one, I think to your point about giving feedback, there is, most of the time it doesn't come from a, well, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of time it doesn't come from a bad place maybe. It might come from no, more not of at all. 
oh, I'm worried about saying the wrong thing, or I'm too obsessed about saying the right thing. So when you have that obsession, it's almost like paralysis or could backfire. So what would you say to people who are just like way too focused on saying the right thing or not saying the wrong thing? It's funny, like, there's a lot of fear around that. And I think some of the coaching stuff I've done with white leaders is like the somatic piece, like you're you're naming fear so like where is that in your body like specifically like is it in your chest is it in your throat is it in your stomach what color does that fear have what temperature what what's the shape and color now you play therapist with them almost i'm not a therapist but our bodies are so wise and i think i know for me at work I just became all in my head and I wasn't listening to when my body was like red flags or like Mm -hmm. different feelings that were coming up and like super important data. Like the somatic feelings we have, our emotions are also a form of data. And when we discount that data and aren't curious about it, we're only seeing part of the picture. So for leaders who are afraid of saying the, the wrong thing, like, Get curious with your body. Um, What's going on there? And also, like, think about the kind of leader you want to be and the kind of leader you're becoming. What kind of leader is that? Is that a curious leader? Is that a leader who gives himself and other people grace? Is that a leader who wants to be a good ancestor? Is that a leader who sponsors people to go on and like have the, their best careers ever like for yourself figure out what kind of leader you want to be and then go back to that fear of like saying the wrong thing and then be like okay so if I want to be this kind of leader what's my next step and that's going to okay. look different for all of us that to me goes very hands in hand with your whole coactive approach where you start off kind of just asking the person like who are you who do you want to be but I guess tell, tell our listeners first, what's the difference between co-active approaches versus a different approach? So the coaching, all of my coaches have been co-active coaches. So the co is the being and the active is the doing. And in our society, we focus a lot on the doing. Like I've got a book right beside me with my to-do list for today. Um, but if we think also about who we want to be first, the things that we're going to do are going to be different than if we're just going from kind of rote to-do lists. Um, mm-hmm. th- there's a lot going on in the world right now. There's a war in Israel and Palestine. I'm feeling afraid about saying the wrong thing. My heart hurts. And I know both Israelis and Palestinian folks who are scared, shocked, terrified, upset, furious, like the range of human emotions. And like, how do I want to be with that? There's a lot of listicles going around. And I don't think in times like these, like five quick things to say to your friend, like that's not where it's at. <laughs> yeah. And it's messy, right? So I want to be a good friend. I want to lean into humanity. I want to walk in the mess with people. Um, so yeah, I might say the wrong thing, but... I'm okay with that because not saying anything means that people I love don't know I care. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think once the focus shifts from saying the like the perfect thing or the right thing and it comes to just like saying what you mean but saying it in a 
way that's positive or constructive and the intent behind it is what to focus on. And if it comes out wrong, then absolutely own up to it and apologize, which is easier said than done. So you've worked with many major organizations, Microsoft, just off the top of my head. Is there any single DEI challenge that they all have in common when you when you start there? Or is everything just different for everybody? I think like the, the DEI landscape, we're, we're all trying to solve really complex issues that no one has solved. So there, there's that. There's like, we're trying to use data and trying to use interventions and trying to measure to see if we're heading in the right direction. I think that's common for all organizations. I don't know any organization that's like, we're done. We got it all done. Like, And I think there's different levels of maturity in organizations. There's a, a bunch of different models out there kind of showing like the spectrum of DEI maturity and how to assess where you're at and how to move to the next step. So again, data can be really helpful um, in being like, where are we? Like, and what, what mm -hmm. are the challenges that we're focusing on this, this next month, quarter, year? And like, it's got to connect to the business as well. How how do you prevent it? Because you said it, like a lot of people aren't just going to be like, yes, it's done. But I feel like in some cases, some people are like, hey, we rolled out these initiatives or we did our annual training and it stops being an ongoing effort of, of DEI practices, of true equality, of true equity, of true inclusion. How do you help organizations or what do you say to organizations on how to keep things ongoing? Which is like a super timely question with the economy where it's at and the layoffs that we've seen this year and the layoffs on DEI teams. I think mm -hmm. it's being for companies to be really clear at the very top why they're doing this. And I think that the two main reasons are you want to have a great workplace where smart people can come together and do good work. Like in the knowledge economy, like that's what you got. And then right. all of these companies have customers, whether they're businesses or individuals, and you want to be making products that solve your users' problems. You want to be marketing them in a way that speaks to how your customers want to be spoken to. Like, and there's so many marketing misses as well. Like, and then you mm -hmm. want to build out your procurement process so that the vendors you're working with align with your business and sustainability goals. Like, it's that piece, the strategy piece, I think is so important. And that commitment at the top, um, I don't think you can do it unless you have that. And then there's the accountability piece. Like what are the metrics that um, leaders are holding themselves accountable to? So if you've got those yeah. pieces, like I think you're clear and you're as the economy or other factors come in, you're like, okay, like we, we need to narrow it down and have more of a laser focus on maybe just these two issues instead of these five things. But then there's mm -hmm. focus and accountability and an idea of what the KPIs are. So when it comes to KPIs and metrics, so like we're saying, data is important, but too many cases with organizations, at least from what I see, it, it looks like it becomes more about optics than it becomes about actual change or actual inclusion, where it's, yeah, we have these people, but maybe they're not in leadership positions. Or, yeah, we did this little program, but it's more of an 
optic how do you how do you help or how, what do you say to people who are are treating dei more as optics than actual change initiatives i would look at like some some of the big pieces like representation you really can't argue with that Th- those numbers are real and at all levels of the organization including the board so do we do we have like who's here um and tech oh in the U.S., I think women's representation is often pegged at 25% for technical roles. So mm-hmm. maybe that shifted a little bit. We're also seeing now, um, like, including non-binary folks as a percentage on that. Um, those numbers don't lie. Um, doing pay, a commitment to doing pay equity studies and truing up the differences there, I think, is, uh, like, a sign that, for me, that a company is really committed to DEI for the long term. And identifying and fixing some of the cultural issues. So it's not just about um, cultural celebrations like, yay, it's whatever celebration month. Or <laughs> we're doing this one thing for pride and we've got everyone a rainbow sticker. But it's like, let me show me your health benefits. I want to see that mm-hmm. there's good protection for queer and trans and non-binary folks. What kind of relocation support are you offering for queer and trans folks? who may be living in countries or domestically in the U.S. and states that are not yes. safe for them. So those are the kinds of things that I want to see that are more, I don't know, meaty and meaningful. Um, what do you look for yeah. on the marketing side? Well, so, I mean, there is the marketing side, but I'd add to just so a lot of times, and again, U.S.-based health insurance, we're crazy here, as you know, because it's tied to employment, but a lot of times parents... A lot of times, parental leave is maternity leave, and if there are are two men or or two people who who neither one of them um, physically gave birth, they might not be equally protected under the very specific policies. So I mean, I don't plan on having kids. I'm not worried about that. But I still think that's a very very clear, easy way to to have an initiative that, yes, this protects everybody. First of all, that should be there, too, because dads, even if they're straight, should be able to take time off. Um, but especially if, if neither one of them is a, a woman or assigned a birth woman, uh, there needs to be that protection if a baby does come along. And for adoption as well. Like, there's lots of, like, there's the, the medical piece about, you know, being pregnant and giving birth, like, there's that, but there's also the emotional piece and the upheaval and time as a new baby enters your life through adoption or other re- like other ways. I'm not sure if there's other ways, but like that takes time. So are we being human and our, our HR policies, do they humanize us? Yeah. Yeah. You, so I mentioned this before, you've done so many studies, you've been featured in really great publications, HBR, Forbes. I saw one, I don't know if I should call it a program, a study. You'll tell me what to call it exactly. Maybe it's a plan. The MIT Press Idea Plan. And I saw that you you were called out there many times from the work you did. Could you tell us a little bit about some of your findings there and why that was so important? MIT Press, I partnered with them on basically their strategy around DEI, but also um, accessibility. So we came up with IDEA as an acronym. Um, By the way, B2B people love acronyms. So 
great. <laughs> the way that scholarly publishing works, and even just going back, you just said, you know, you, you've been featured in Forbes and HBR. Shorthand makes me credible in some people's eyes. The, the names of those um, media outlets, um, to, for me to be able to say my work has been the, in them, immediately I can see people's eyes open and like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. Like, Forbes mm, is legitimacy. No joke. Same thing in marketing. That's what marketing does. It's like, oh, yeah, look how legit we are. We're in Forbes. And yeah. Yeah. And MIT Press is the same thing. Like, MIT, wow. And people who publish with MIT Press, like, they do some amazing work, especially in the area of open access, um, keeping mm-hmm. scholarly publications open to the world and not locked behind paywalls. Um, the scholarly publishing industry is really tough. The, the margins are really tight. So it was cool to partner with them to learn more about their business and opportunities that they had for making the press uh, more inclusive, equitable, accessible place to work. Cool. Another one I saw you work with, and I'm curious, is I saw you work with Crunchyroll, which is I the app. It's the anime streaming service. What did, did you, I feel like I want you, like my secret goal is that you made things more like inclusive in the actual anime. I know that can't be what you did, but, but tell us about that. Someone I worked with at Mozilla became the, the chief people officer and he pulled me in. So I think that's the power of networks as well. Some of us are seen to be credible because of publications we've been in, but like, it's like, we work together. He's like, I know you can do this. So it helped help them with their DES strategy. They had a bunch of employee resource groups and people were stretched. So we kind of worked with the leaders of those employee resource groups to like narrow their focus, do less and make a bigger impact. Also, like it was cool. Like I never thought I'd be working with an anime streaming group. That's so cool. Yeah. We got to make like a DEI anime, like somehow. What would that story be about? I cannot tell you, but um, I'm not worried. I've watched enough anime to know that there's enough plot lines and repetitive stories to go around. So uh, somebody will figure it out. I feel like you'd have a team of like the DEI team and I'd be like, the data nerd. And like, yes. Mm -hmm. Then you'd have like the workshop facilitator. There was a show on Netflix that, that kind of failed because it wasn't great. Um, it was called Q-Force. And it was kind of like they were like this spy army group and they were all, all gay. It was with Sean Hayes from Will and Grace. I think it only had one season. It was it was it, but like it was kind of like that. Is it still on Netflix? Can I watch this? Tor- it should still show? be on Netflix. I don't know if it's in Netflix Canada, but it should still be on Netflix. Yeah, because it was a Netflix show. And what were I watched their... the first three episodes. What were their superpowers? Oh, I don't, I don't remember. Like... One of them, one of them was gay. Well, actually, they were all gay. But like one of them was like the normal one who like he just graduated and um, don't ask, don't tell was appealed, so he like announced it. But then instead of putting him on like the main mission, they gave him his own Q Force team. I really don't remember. Like one of them was like a drag queen, I think. One of them's name was literally Twink. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Was there a bear? I don't think so. I don't think there Love was. Bears. I don't, I don't think there was one, but yeah. So Crunchyroll super cool. Again, DEI anime. What, That's what one I love, thing- like doing this work. I've got to work with some really like I. I don't think I would when I was a librarian. I would have imagined I'd work be working with a global tech company, one of the biggest scholarly publishers, and then like this giant anime streaming company. Like what? 
that's a great point because teachers librarians and again i'm just gonna say u.s for, for now but like in the u.s librarians and teachers are having a really hard time getting paid fairly getting paid correctly many are transitioning into other jobs i know many teachers who are now in sales communication marketing what advice would you give to a, a teacher or a librarian who is trying to do what you did and transition completely this is like with my coaching hat on. I think values are so important. So getting clear on what your values are um, can really help you make tough choices. So one of my mm -hmm. values is, are you fucking kidding me? Which is around getting paid what I'm worth. Um, yes. One of my values is integrity, which means walking my talk. So are you fucking kidding me is not what you would normally expect on a list of values doesn't matter it just needs to make sense to me so that makes a sh shit ton um, of sense to me so <laughs> yeah so like figure out what your values are and as you are looking at different opportunities with different organizations use your values as like kind of like that measuring stick and measure the opportunity against that like if this job at blah 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 company like does it honor are you fucking kidding me Mm-hmm. As a value, like, am I going to get paid what I'm worth? And like, will I be able to walk my talk at that company? Will it yeah. will it honor my value of integrity? Like, the lists are going to be different for all of us, but you can make your own scorecard and interview the company and score them as they're scoring you through the interview process. Yeah, I love this scorecard. I'd add to like value should not come from somebody else's justification for you, thoughts of you. Your value always needs to be derived from how you're feeling about yourself because that's the most powerful thing if you let other people define that about you you're just always going to be questioning yourself so learning how to self-soothe how to understand your value is is by far i think one of the most important things for any professional regardless of career and value and values are different so I completely agree with everything you said around value. And when I'm talking about values, I mean like those, those things that principles. are really important. Import yeah, core principles. Exactly. Yeah. And those are things. And that goes to boundaries too. We're going to get into a therapy session doing this. But that goes to boundaries because you have your values. You have your boundaries. And if things cross those boundaries and your values, it's up to you to deal with that. You can't, too many people will either get passive aggressive about it or will just let it shut them down. So that's another important aspect. I want to move into our next segment, which is Spill the Tea with Lee. That's right. This is the sassiest podcast for B2B and we're going to get juicy. I, I really want to know your, your thoughts here because DEI initiatives sometimes face resistance from leadership from people who might think they're being unfairly targeted or excluded how do you address this resistance when you're consulting with people the stage in my career now um i want to partner with people who want to do the work um i'm not here to convince people that what i'm doing is valid or useful yeah i something in my heart broke last year i can't have the conversation about the business case anymore you mm -hmm. either believe in my and our humanity or maybe you don't and the business case conversations are important but i don't have the energy to have them anymore i'm really good yeah. at what i do and i i'm here to help build the future so i want to partner with organizations who want to do that um it, earlier in my that. career i think 
you can move people a little. So again, back to that maturity model, like if someone is here, I can move them like a couple of steps along the path. But if they're dead set against it, I'm not going to change their mind to be enthusiastic supporters. Like, I think it's delusional to think that. And it also is a little disrespectful of the other person. Even if I don't agree with what they think, like, I don't like it when someone tries to change my mind, say, on, like, queer trans rights. Like, for me, that's not up for debate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can't. You As can't. I There's age, some I'm yelling less at the wall. Like, wall's not going to change. <laughs> like... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The wall is not going to off. change. What were you going to say? I cut um, you off. Oh, I don't remember. I'll go to the next question. <laughs> this is how we roll here, too. Yeah, we just riff. You you have a weekly Ask Tara video series, which, by the way, everyone can go and subscribe on your website. But you have a, a weekly series, and you answer questions from your subscribers who submit anonymous questions about coaching, inclusion challenges, and they're anonymous. So I'm curious, have you ever gotten a really memorable one that, that if I were to ask you that just comes to mind? No, actually, like, well, I've not gotten anything that's horrible. I've gotten some that are kind of vague and confusing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. when I've tried to be like, how do I answer this in a way that gives people value? I'm like, I don't really know, because I'm kind of unclear. Um, sometimes people do give me their email. So I have clarified with a couple people to be like, do you mean this or this? And then I can answer the person's question, but also... Um, give value to the people who are watching the videos because I don't know there's so much content out there um, I want to add value to the conversation one one that I saw rec- I don't know recently I, I, I see a lot of them um, but one of them was about like what do you do if like somebody calls you out on being racist or biased in some way and I thought that was a really interesting question because there's a lot of resources like to here here's what not to do but there isn't necessarily on like okay maybe you did something wrong how do you remedy to that I don't remember the specific answer I think it was about like first of all paying attention to what's going on in your body like when, when you're even saying, like, getting called out, like, I feel my palms are getting sweaty and, like, my heart's beating a little faster. Like, I'm already getting activated. And if it's around something like DEI, um, it's like a different... When we make mistakes, say if you make a simple math mistake, you're like, oh, two plus two equals five. And it's like, no, that's not it. But if we make a mistake around DEI, people are like, oh, I fucked up. Like, I made a <laughs> fucking terrible mistake and I'm a fucking horrible person. Like, yeah. there's this really heavy layer of judgment and layer of not only, not only did I make a mistake, I'm bad. Like, we go right to shame and it's not helpful. Right. So I think the second part of that answer, I was like, what kind of leader do you want to be? And answer from that place. Like, we all make mistakes. And I think leaders, senior leaders have a really tough job because they screw up too and they have to own it. And how they own it and how they make repair says a lot more about their leadership a lot more about their leadership than how they show up on a good day. We can all be polished and, you know, say the right thing when we're giving out bonuses. But like when someone says the wrong thing on stage or ships a product with an accessibility problem or says something racist, like that's really when we see what what a leader believes. And obviously the higher you go up in an organization, the more eyes are are on you too which is why it's important to get this training yeah and to own it like to own it when you screw up like because that means that other people in your organization see that and they go oh like 
This is the kind of organization where anyone at any level, when they screw up, yeah, they, they own it. And then they go, what do I need to do to fix versus organizations where we don't talk about the elephant in the room and then we all just kind of hide away the problems. And it's like, that's not real. And this blows up in a weird way. And it's not good. Switching gears a bit. I saw and correct me if I'm wrong. You recently started CrossFit, right? Is it the first time or oh have you God. done it before? No, I've never done it before. This is week four. Yeah. So I want to ask because you're you're the coach. You're used to being the coach. You're you're doing the coaching. But then when you go to CrossFit, um, it's it's kind of the opposite, right? So I'm just, are you applying any coaching principles to your workout, or have you learned any CrossFit tips that you're now applying to your coaching? The coaches, um, so I've actually also coached swimming um, as a sport, but most of the coaching I'm doing is like leadership coaching and kind of personal coaching. The coaches at my CrossFit gym are amazing. Like, I, I just love them so much. Not only are they great about technique, but they can see the vision that I can do it even when I'm like... Oh my God, this 21 minute AMRAP workout is disgusting. Like I want to stop and like, I'll take a little break and they'll come over and be like, come on, like you got this, keep going. So holding up Mm -hmm. that big vision for me, even when I'm not sure it's true, like I do that for my clients. So I see them do a lot of really awesome embodied coaching things like with kettlebells and all sorts of like pull-ups and stuff. They're really awesome. I think you're going to get to a point where you're going to teach a CrossFit DEI class. <laughs> and like, you'll have analogies for like the kettlebells are like empowerment or like, val- I don't know. We'll, we'll do some. Oh, what's that? Magic wand. Let's make nice. it happen. Do you do CrossFit? <laughs> oh, hell no, no. I've had oh, CrossFit no. clients, so I, I'm familiar with it. Like, I've marketed for CrossFit. Now I just go to the, the gym. How I feel like I'd be scared CrossFit? to hurt myself. Oh, uh, well, like, so you market CrossFit. Like, hey, like, where is the nearest CrossFit near me? Uh, or, like, so, like, a lot of it's Google ads, um, website stuff. Um, I had one. I forgot where he was. It was in Brooklyn or something. So there was, like, three others on the block or something. I don't know. So... It gets, it gets, I also did a specifically, um, gay campaign for a CrossFit client once where they were like, yeah, like, you know, like our gay clients are, the are tea. amazing. Yeah. This is spilling the tea. Like our gay clients are amazing. Um, like they always pay on time, but they're also like really into it. Like we found that, and especially if you're in Brooklyn, there's a big area. So we did a lot of advertising where it was just like a hot guy, like in the CrossFit video and I would target, uh, like, I, I think they ended up making it so you can't just be like, I'm targeting gay people, but you add the different interests and stuff on, on Facebook. And, and yet yeah, that one worked so well. You know your audience. Yeah, I forgot about that one. One, one other thing that I hear a lot, and this isn't CrossFit related, but back to diversity. I hear, or I'm starting to hear more the term diversity fatigue. And that is kind of like what it sounds like, where... Some people are just like, oh, we're hearing too much about diversity or everything's about that now. And they they start separating themselves or they just block out that that fatigue. What have you heard of this? And how would you say people can either combat it? I've seen the word and I'm like, I'm kind of curious about it. 
Like, what is exhausting? What is tiring? Right. Can you stretch? White people just not wanting to see it anymore. to grow. Like, um, it sounds like privilege to me. Yeah. And what is the cost to other people for your fatigue and your decision to not engage anymore? So when you're saying no to engaging and learning more about diversity, what are other people having to say yes to? Yeah. Like, why why is diversity something you're tired of? I think that's the real question. And yes, it, it, we're, we're poking fun at the name, but too, I think it speaks to sometimes the managers just get too stressed or too focused on, and they just feel like that. And again, I think that goes back to just who do you want to be and the intention of, and not just worrying about doing the right thing. But yeah, no, diversity is not something you should feel tired or stressed about. And I think if you are, that's why people like Tara are here to help you. And to go back to CrossFit for a second, <laughs> we get stronger when we push those edges. Like, um, yes. when I'm like, I'm not sure I can do another squat. And the coach comes over and is like, you got this. Let's go. Like, when I look around at our society right now, our societies with climate change, wars, the economy, racial injustice, like, I'm worried. It's going to be hard. It is hard already. And I want to build a future where we're all free, where there's abundance for all of us. Like, that's not going to be easy. Like, hmm but I believe we can do it. So like, let's go. There's, there's room for everybody. There really is. Yeah. Sometimes that means other groups might need to make additional room Shovel or make things. Little. Yeah. Or make things easier. And that's where we go. Equity versus equality. Um, no. But, but yeah, there's room for people. There's room for everyone. Well, Tara, this was such a, a great conversation. Again, always love having people who have fellow great hair on what is so you you do consulting you have your weekly newsletters what else are you excited about lately where can people find you i post quite a lot on linkedin um you can follow me on linkedin you can subscribe to my newsletter and ask questions for the ask tara segment um i'm actually running short on those so i'd really love your your questions and your um inclusion challenges um yeah yeah well i think to 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 wrap too that dei is important in b2b it's important in any workplace it's not just for really really big organizations yes you might not have the resources to do some of the things that that big organizations are doing but you can still employ things like we mentioned before the healthcare policies the proper pronoun training um things like that that any organization can really do this is really fun thank you for having me on as of your course guest. thank you so much for coming on and thank you everybody for listening i will see you next time for another episode of lee to be 